I always had this goal years ago to kind of get to the point where my business was self-managing and it could kind of run itself. So on the one hand, that's what success looks like is I got really focused on not just maximizing my income, but actually maximizing my dollars per hour, which actually could mean I'm making less overall income. But if I'm increasing my dollars per hour such that I have now time to do what, do what I want with it, that's what success looks like for me. The big question that comes from that is, what are you going to do with your time? Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Good afternoon, investors. My name is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, we are, have a visitor from down south, Matthew Tringali. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, Garrett. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah. So we, uh, as we said in the pre-show, we've kind of passed each other at different events, but this is one of the first times I'm getting actually to sit down with you and unpack what's underneath the hood. So um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got here? What's your story and your background? Yeah, my background is in real estate investing, uh, just like a lot of your audience, and then also real estate sales. And so when the bottom fell out of the industry back in 2008, I was sitting on some houses that I was trying to sell for some other clients and realized they weren't going to sell. And so I started a property management company, um, started managing those properties at that time. And turns out I loved that part of the industry and really grew that from there uh, over the next 15 years. During the course of that time, I really focused a lot on unit economics and building a very profitable business. And part of that profitability success came from leading a lot into remote team members, which we're going to really unpack in today's podcast. Built that business over the next 15 years, went multi-state with it, sold that business uh, last year in 2022. And since then, I've really been focused on our consulting business where we help other real estate professionals and property management companies uh, be successful with remote team members also. Interesting. Oh, well, as you know, I own a management company as well, and I'm also branching off into different things. What made you decide to actually make a definitive switch? Into property management, what I did? is that Well, from property management now into your latest endeavor. Uh, yes. Um, you know, I really, really love um, teaching and helping other small businesses be successful. And so that was really just sort of core to my being. I'm, I'm a teacher by background. And I always had a dream of being able to help other small business professionals be successful. But I wasn't quite sure how to do that for a long time. So I slowly started doing that by consulting with them and then by doing remote team member replacements with them. Basically, just friends in the industry that saw some of the success that I was having and said, hey, can you help me do that as well? And I'm just a big believer in doing the thing that you love doing, right? You, you want to show up to work every day and not be work. And so that was the thing that I just loved doing was helping other professionals. And so 
you know, it had kind of matured the management business to a point where we just got a good offer to sell it. And that kind of made sense to do that. And it really freed me up to be 100% focused on doing what I do now, which uh, I just love doing every day. Awesome. Find your why, right? Simon That's Sinek. exactly right. Yeah. No, it's awesome. So I purposely titled the podcast, and I know you can't see this because it's not coming out for another week, but you know how to, how to find the perfect virtual assistant. And I've done that on purpose because I know you've coined the term remote team member. Why don't you tell the audience for those who are unfamiliar what a VA is or an RTM? In, in your mind. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people by now are familiar with the term virtual assistant. And I'd been using uh, what I then called virtual assistants as far back as I think I hired my first one around 2011, 2012. I had read this book a long time ago called The World is Flat by Thomas Friedman, which is an old book now. It was actually written, I think, in the 1990s. And in that book, he talks about even back then, he says, you know, when you're doing your taxes, your CPA is not actually doing your taxes. Somebody in India is doing your taxes. And that, that little phrase in that book always stuck in my mind. And then I read The 40-Hour Workweek, which, of course, was super popular back then. And Tim Ferriss talks a lot about kind of using VA. So I started using virtual assistants for about a dollar an hour in India, just doing different kind of research on properties for me that I might have wanted to purchase. And that kind of you know had a certain level of mixed success. But over time, I realized in order to be really successful with this, I needed to not think of them as just virtual assistants, uh, but I needed to think of them as full-fledged members of my team. Um, because when people have the virtual assistant mindset, it's almost like buying a piece of software that you can kind of just stick on a shelf like it's operating in the background. But that's not what you want, right? You want to build a team. And so and the way I always say it is they're not virtual. They're real human beings. And they're not merely assistants. They're full-fledged team members on your team. Um, and so that's why we call them remote team members. I have 10 on my team right now at, at my current company, BetterWho. I actually have other remote team members who work for some of my other businesses as well. And we meet every single day um, in a variety of meetings. And they're real people to me. Some of them I've gotten to meet in person. Some of them I haven't. But they all care about mutual success. I care about their success. They care about mine. And so, yeah, that's why we go with remote team members. That's really cool. Uh, it resonates with me as well because I experimented probably it's got to be about four or five years ago we had you know 20 odd people in our management company here up in winnipeg and i had heard this at the narpum conferences and i wanted to try it so i i tried one um actually he was on our podcast uh two or three episodes ago Fursi, he's our business development coordinator and yeah i but i nurtured right like i i didn't want i had heard nightmare stories of hiring a va and they feel like they're in a bubble, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I met with him every single day for 10 or 15 minutes to start the day to make sure that he was included. We had a day or a weekly at that time, weekly stand-up meeting. Well, I set up a little tablet there and he could see everybody and his face was there when we had, uh, we actually did a Find Your Why seminar clinic uh, for the Simon Sinek series there. And yeah, his tablet <laughs> was sitting in one of the breakout groups. So uh, I think you can... We'll have to talk about that later about success, but uh, yeah, I've been doing it. Uh, I've got about eleven or twelve on my team as well, so that's uh, that's great to hear. That's awesome. So the concept of remote work—I mean, we're kind of post-COVID now. Um, it's been around for a while, but I think it's really started to take off in recent years, maybe because of that. But what what factors do you feel has contributed to the entire like remote work culture? 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of things, and of course, COVID really coalesced a lot of it. Um, and it's been interesting to see the what I think is a cycle that's happened since COVID that I'll talk about in just a second. But for me, a lot of it was money driven in the beginning, and so you know, I had this big office that I was investing in, and you know, at some point, just started kind of thinking about why do I really have this office? You know, I mean, um, I don't need my clients to come into this office. I can meet them. Were, and most of my clients, frankly, weren't even local, but the ones that were, you know, I could meet them at a local coffee shop or at their property or whatever. And I certainly didn't need my tenants coming into the office. Matter of fact, I didn't want that, right? Um, and so, um, so yeah, I just started kind of thinking about why do I really have this office? And, you know, what if we all work from home? And at some point, I kind of had this epiphany where I said, um, desk jobs are desk jobs and field jobs are field jobs. And desk jobs can be done from anywhere in the world, Right. And part of what I meant by that was, you know, I had people on my team locally at the time who spent part of their time behind a desk and part of their time going out into the field to look at a property, do whatever. But I realized that that's a productivity killer, right? If you ask somebody whose main job is, you know, answering emails, answering phone calls, you know, doing various computer work, if you ask them to get up from their desk and drive somewhere, just crushes their productivity. And then they come back to like dozens of emails and voicemails and whatever. And so I just made this delineation where I said, I don't want that to happen anymore. And in making that delineation is what made it also super easy to go remote. And so once I realized these desk jobs could be done from anywhere in the world, it just transformed my business. So I leaned really heavily into that. And I think that's a change that a lot of people started to make. And we've seen that, like you said, with COVID, a lot of people then were forced into that. I had made that change years before then. So I was ready to go. COVID was like no big thing for us. But a lot of people were forced to change that. It's been interesting. I don't know if you've been paying attention to some of the news cycle lately where there have been these news stories coming out where in, in quote unquote studies. I don't know exactly how they're studying it, but basically this mixed opinion, right? Of how productive can you actually be when you work from home? And I think that there's a lot to be said about that. I think that there are very successful ways to promote a healthy remote work culture. And there are ways that you just sort of do it and you don't necessarily know what you're doing. So I have a lot of questions about people who have not really, who, who believe that there's a productivity dip. I have questions about what are they actually doing to foster that team culture, that productivity. And you probably have a lot you could say about that too. It sounds like you're doing a lot of things right to foster that environment, right? But you have to have those daily huddles, right? You have to have those key performance indicators in place where you can manage by metrics instead of sort of just micromanaging because you happen to sit next to somebody in an office. Um, You have to have a certain company culture where you're holding each other accountable to whatever those achievements may be. And so if you don't have that culture in place certainly remote work's not going to work for you, right? If the main way you get work done is because you happen to be sitting next to somebody and you're just sort of constantly pestering each other all throughout the day, then that may not work as well if all of a sudden you're not sitting next to each other. So I think that the world is starting to kind of figure that out. You know, what does that actually look like to do that, not just simply out of necessity, but to do that out of desire and to see it become successful? No, for sure. I know when I think about my remote team, and of course, I call them full employees. When you, I just look at an office, right? When you have 10, 15 people in an office, you've got cubicles, you've got different things. How do you possibly pull somebody from that environment, put them in a bubble at home and expect them to work the same? So in my mind, everything that I'm doing, trying to have a successful company and engaged, that's the 
buzzword engaged staff is to mimic that environment, right? Otherwise, you might as well just have a bunch of people that you're just micromanaging, like you said, and telling what to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's some key ways to do that. And some of the ways that I do it, and again, there are lots of ways to do it, but I'm a big fan of using some type of inner office communication platform. We happen to use Slack, but you could use you know, Microsoft Teams or, or Google Chat, um, or there's a Ring Central version, you know, whatever you want to do. But to have that sort of regular communication that can happen that is not just email each other, emailing each other back and forth all the time, right? So I find Slack to be super helpful, but not just for work. We actually use it for fun also. So we keep a Slack channel that we call water cooler. And to your point, it's replicating, right? A water cooler at the office, right? And so if we were all working in an office together, there'd be normal little banter that would happen, you know? Oh, what are you doing this weekend, Garrett? Oh yeah, we're taking the kids to do such and such. And, you know, so we use the water cooler channel in Slack to simply share stories, share pictures of our vacations and fun stuff, right? So we encourage that, whereas some people might look at that and say, oh, that's not productive. But it is, right? I mean, that's just humans. I mean, it's company culture. We, exactly. Yeah. It's company culture. So, so yeah. So things like that to, to, as you say, mimic it, right? And then and now with video conferencing the way it is, right? There's just great ways to, to mimic that. So we are constantly using video conferencing tools for a variety of meetings throughout the day. So... And in some ways, using those tools actually makes certain things easier. So when I'm training somebody, if you think about it, sitting shoulder to shoulder in front of a computer where only, you know, where I can control the mouse and I'm trying to show them how to do something, that can be effective. But I actually find it much more effective to get on a video call with somebody and do a screen share, and then I can record the meeting, and then that meeting can be used later for them to review later. So there's just lots of things like that, right? Yeah, for training. I mean, again, you have somebody knocking on your office door and you're you tell them something, you're not going to ask if you can turn on the camera in the corner so you can record that. And then, <laughs> exactly. No, they'd be weird, right? So there's there's a lot of uh, benefits. Um, just backing up to your point about, we use a chat as well. And I kind of think, again, about that cubicle environment. And so we, I, we encourage our our all of our staff, actually, even our, our staff, field staff, I call them, just to be constantly chattering on that. Because when you're in a cubicle environment and you hear something, just over the walls of the cubicle about some property that maybe there's a squatter or something's on fire, you're, you kind of, your ears perk up, right? So we're trying to mimic that because that's, that's productive, right? If somebody else knows something about what you're about to embark into and they can just chime in, that's, that's, that's a company. Absolutely. So let's, um, let's back up a little bit. We're talking about RTMs. For those investors, companies, individuals, businesses that are listening to this podcast, Let's let's unpack the benefits of uh, an RTM. Like, why would somebody even want to do this instead of just going through Indeed and having an interview in their office and having that person come in every day? Sure. I mean, one of the most obvious benefits, of course, is cost, right? Um, when you hire somebody locally, depending on where you are, you know, I'm here in the US, I'll use US dollars, right? But, um, you know, you might be spending any, anywhere from thirty dollars to $80,000 plus per year in salary. And then, of course, you have certain, you know, local HR laws you have to be aware of, right? So there's just a lot of expense that goes into that when you hire locally versus the typical remote person that you hire, particularly if you're hiring direct, you know, might only cost you ten dollars to $15,000 per year. Right. So in general, it's only going to cost you a third to a quarter of the price compared to what you're going to pay uh, locally. Now, a lot of people, they hear that and they just make an assumption that, oh, but you're sacrificing on quality. 
But the irony is, and I'd be curious to hear your experience, is actually I found it to be exactly the opposite. When I can hire uh, directly and remotely overseas, I can actually get higher quality candidates for a number of reasons. Number one, it's just a, a bigger pool of candidates that I'm looking at, right? As opposed to whoever happens to live in your local town. Um, but number two is just that dollar to dollar comparison. So we are placing folks who sometimes are engineers, CPAs, architects, doctors in their home country who make more money working for us small businesses here in the US or Canada than they do practicing their particular craft or trade in their home country. And so these are very intelligent, well-qualified people that for pennies on the dollar, uh, you're actually getting a lot higher quality than if you hired locally. So those are the big benefits, huge cost savings and um, an increased quality of candidates. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about the, uh, the professionals and the high, you know, high level of education. I know that we're in our last few hires, I'm, I'm looking at these resumes coming through and I do see like law degrees and doctors. And I asked one of our remote staff down in Mexico, why is that? Like, why would somebody essentially leave a profession? And they said it's cultural as well. A lot of people were sort of following in their father's footsteps or parents' footsteps. And now they're really trying to break out and do something on their own. It's not always cost. So yeah, but you get a lot of talent that way. You know? Yeah. One of the other big benefits too, by the way, is um, is being able to kind of maximize your labor output, right? So like, for example... You know, if I could afford one local person that say is going to cost me $50,000 a year, well, let's say I can get two remote people that cost me $30,000 a year, right? Or even if I want to get three remote people and I'm not actually trying to get any cost savings, maybe I'm getting three remote people and I'm spending the same amount as if I got one local person. But look at the labor output that you can deliver now, right? And do with that whatever you want. I mean, that may mean some increased level of customer service. It may mean expanding, you know, the amount of properties that you can assess and potentially purchase. I mean, you know, the, it's, it's your choice as a business owner what you want to do with that. But you can do a lot of things with that. And that can become... I used to say that doing that would be your uh, unfair advantage in the marketplace. But now I tell people that if you're not doing that, you're going to get left behind. Because the reality is... If you're not leading into remote team members now, I promise you your competitors are. And it's going to be hard for you to keep up with them if you're not also leveraging that same resource. Yeah, 100%. Um, also like to make the point that when you have somebody who is an RTM and they're applying to a job and that's what they do, they are a remote worker versus somebody who was forced to maybe go, you know, maybe they were in your company or a company and they were forced to go remote. You don't know how they're going to like, what is their track record, right? Just because they worked in an office for 10 years, maybe as a financial auditor or something, you don't know what type of productivity you're going to get from that individual, from that professional, because they're working at home for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And that's part of what we do when we place candidates for our clients. Because I've made this mistake before, is we make sure every candidate that we place has um, worked a North American time zone before and has worked from home before. So this isn't the first time they're doing that. You want to know that they have that experience and this is what they actually want. No, for sure. So let, let's talk about how do you find a virtual assistant or a remote team member? Like, How does somebody do that? There's kind of, I guess I would say, three key ways. So one is you, know, you could go to some job board platform like uh, Odesk. I think it's still called Odesk. 
or something like that, right? In, or Fiverr would be another example. And that's a fine way to go if you have project-based work, right? If you have maybe some particular website update you want to do or a new website rollout or some database you're trying to create, you know, something like that where you're looking for a very specific technical skill and a short-term project because basically those are gig workers on there. Um, so that'd be one way to kind of, you know, leverage the re- remote work. Um, the other way and the most common way would be through um, what I call a staffing agency model. And I know you've had some experience with this in your past and, and uh, a lot of po- folks go this route. So this would basically be hiring some company uh, that is sourcing usually either out of the Philippines, Mexico, or India. And the way this model works is you're typically going to pay that staffing agency about 9 to 12 US dollars per hour. Um, and they're going to place somebody with you for one of those countries. But the person that they're placing is typically only making about four to five US dollars per hour. Um, and so there's, you know, a big spread that's happening there for that value proposition that they're offering to you. But the other key thing to know, as you, I know, also experienced is they don't actually work for you. Um, they work for the staffing agency, which means you're not actually in complete control of their company culture experience. You're not in complete control of when they get raises, what their future is going to look like, things like that. And so a lot of folks go into that thinking, oh, that's easy. Let me just get started that way. But at some point down the road, they, they, these shortcomings start to show up um, and they realize that's not really what they want. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. No, I was just going to say, let's unpack that a little bit more too, because $9 versus $4, there's obviously... I mean, there's justification there, like the company, the recruitment company, or whatever you call them, uh, middle person has to make money. But is it all? It's not just about profit. How do they justify that spread, which is almost double or more? Yeah, I mean, what they're going to say, of course, is that they are taking care of some of the tax burden. They may be providing some um, health insurance coverage, uh, you know, things like that that the local laws may require an employer to um, to provide in those cases. And then, you know, whatever's left over is their profit. And, and then they may also say that they're providing some level of oversight, right? So they may have a local 
manager or, or not a local manager, but they'll have their own internal manager that's also managing that person that on the one hand sounds like a benefit to you, but as I've described, can often be a detriment, right? Uh, because that person may be managing them in a way that you don't actually appreciate. Um, it may be counter-cultural to you the way you want to be managing this person. So, But those are the other benefits that they're providing where they're sort of justifying their value proposition. And then, like you said, then they make whatever profit margin they make on top of that. Okay. And then the other model, which I know that uh, you guys have adopted, yeah. And then the third model would be to hire direct, right? And so this is something you could DIY it um, if you felt you know, uh, qualified. And that's something you had the time and energy to take on to go out and find these people um, and whatever that looks like. Um, and that's our model. So we're more of a headhunter model. So our clients will hire us and then we'll go out. And, and the advantage also to that model is we're not bound to any particular country. So we'll do a truly global search. We literally have placed for dozens of different countries all over the world. And then, you know, because that's all we do day in and day out, we have all of the expertise and experience with our full team of HR recruiters to know what to look for in these candidates and to make sure that when we do a placement, that not only do they have the right skills, but they're also going to be a good cultural fit with your company. Because as you know, having hired lots of people, right? I mean, skills can be taught, but culture fit is actually super important, right? So we like to make sure there's going to be a great fit with their management style and things like that. So, and then hiring direct, then you have all the advantages we were talking about earlier, where you are truly um, controlling that cultural relationship, right? You are controlling the entire environment. But also, when you hire direct, these are folks that they want to belong to a company and they want to know what a future and a career path could look like, just like when you hire locally, right? Just like you and I want, uh, you know, with our own selves and our own businesses. And so, when you hire them directly, you're able to have those kinds of conversations with them. You know, what does success look like for you here at this company? And what does it look like for you to earn raises and promotions over time? What does it look like for you to start managing your own team? You know, I'll start hiring other people that you can. Yeah, long-term goals, that two, long five, and goal, 10 year right? HR question, right? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned to me in the pre-show, you know, you have one person that's a remote team member that basically runs your whole company. And, you know, I have the same thing. She's actually been with me for nine years. And has actually traversed multiple businesses with me over that time. And so she actually runs our entire operation. So she manages the whole team. She does project management for us, um, all the ins and outs day to day. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'd be lost without her at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's been amazing. I, I think for me, the success has been, like you said, the, re- the reach of talent, right? I don't think I could have found half of my my staff with that type of talent just look well i don't want to put down my my hometown here but it's it's difficult right because you try to hire a property manager there's all the competition and then you you know there you've got staff that are jumping around from company to company and yeah there's a lot of overlap and uh, there's just a smaller talent pool compared to the world <laughs> yes absolutely so why did you guys choose that model versus I don't want to say the profitable model, but I mean, I guess there's benefits to both as a business plan. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I did it because it's what I wanted as a client and I wanted to be able to provide that to the industry. And, you know, we were the first, as far as I know, still the only uh, service provider providing this model to our particular industry. You know, we, we market to the property management industry, but we serve any other industry. So we work with a lot of different real estate professionals and, and other industries as well. But 
But we chose that because that's what what I want. It's what I do and it's what I want my clients to have. And part of the reason why our clients want that is because of the level of talent, right? So, you know, the typical direct hire person that you're going to hire directly, like our average placement is about seven to eight dollars per hour. You know, a hundred percent of that goes to the remote team member, that seven to eight dollars per hour. So just stop and think about that for a minute, right? So for our client, A, that means they're saving a lot of money versus going through the middleman, right? We mentioned earlier, the middleman staffing agency is typically going to charge $9 to $12 per hour. So our typical client is saving you know, thousands of dollars per year per remote team member. But the bigger advantage is the level of talent because it, it, it makes perfect sense, right? The level of talent that's willing to go work at what is effectively a call center for 4 to $5 per hour versus somebody that's willing and knows what they're worth to come work for you directly for 7 to $8 per hour is a totally different level of, of talent that you're hiring, right? And so you're just hiring a different type of person when you hire direct versus hiring through a staffing agency. So that's what we want to provide for our clients. So we came up with a business model that works um, for us and for our clients. And, and uh, it's, been, it's been great. Oh, that, that's excellent. So walk me through it. Yeah, walk me through how that works. Somebody approaches you guys. I'm a real estate professional. I'm a realtor. Can you find me somebody that can post all my social media and, and uh, answer all of the inquiries from the listings? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, every placement we do is completely custom to what that client needs at that time. You know, having said that, you know, there's always commonalities between positions. So, using that position you just described, that's a pretty common position. Somebody come to us and say, yeah, I want somebody that's going to handle all of our social media postings. There may be certain other kind of things that go with that to turn that into a full-time job. We do a little bit of onboarding with our client to understand not just what their pain points are and what they're looking for, but also to understand what their management style is like, what their company culture is like. Because again, we want to make sure we're going to find that good fit with them. Then we go out and start doing the recruiting. Um, To put that in perspective, right now, we get about 3,500 applications per month for remote team members all over the world that want to work for our clients. And less than 1% of those make it through our vetting process before we start recommending them to our clients. So. As you might expect, there's a lot that goes into that vetting. And this is where we have a full team of professional HR recruiters on our team that know exactly what to look for. So, you know, as I mentioned, we make sure they've, you know, worked the right time zone before, worked from home before. Uh, we do speed tests on their computer, personality profiles, um, English proficiency and typing tests. We pre-interview them. We collect video samples, written samples, things like that. So we put them through the, the, our whole process to make sure they're going to be a good fit. Then we bundle all that information together, present it to our client and say, hey, here's somebody we recommend. We think they're going to be a great fit for you. Uh, please also interview them and let us know what you think. And then once the client is ready to hire that uh, candidate, then we walk them through the offer sheet, how to make that offer to the client. And then we stay involved for the first 90 days. Uh, we do a 30, 60, 90 day check-in with both the remote team member and the client to make sure they're having a good, successful onboarding experience. Wow. Um, 3,500 applications you're making my head hurt because yeah yeah it's a lot <laughs> i mean i when i put an ad out here on indeed or whatnot and i have 100 to 150 that's all i'm doing for like weeks <laughs> exactly. and you know i think it's what you said is interesting because never mind the hr recruiters and the professional because i i'm terrible at hiring my you know some of my staff will tell you that But I find it interesting because if you choose the first model, like you said, DIY, and then you have somebody and they don't work out, then you have to start the whole thing all over again. 
is it fair to say, putting words in your mouth, that you're cultivating a pool of talent that you can then, you've, they've already pre-screened people? Um, actually, not exactly. And part of the reason why is because the level of talent we're recruiting are super hot commodities. So they can't sh- sit on the shelf very long. So like, for example, by the t- so a lot of our clients are like, well, I want to make sure you present me with three candidates. And I always tell them, well, I'm going to present the candidates to you as soon as they're available. If there happen to be three that come out of the pipeline at the same time, great. But if I have one that comes out of my pipeline and they're a hot commodity, we need to go ahead and interview them and see if that's who you want to hire ASAP. Because if we don't do that, they're going to get hired somewhere. So yeah, so we're always, on the one hand, yes, we're always keeping our pipelines active. We're always out there actively recruiting. But the level of talent that we're looking for, they will get hired quickly. So we need to make sure we get them you know, connected with our clients quickly. Wow. So the, the two models, let's go back to that for a second. I mean, let's, I'll ask you from the perspective of the client, um, does, which, which model would the client prefer or that feedback that you've heard from some, of, some clients that have experienced both models? Yeah, I mean, kind of the general idea that a lot of people will say is, oh, well, I'm going to go with the staffing agency because it's, um, it's, it's easy, right? It's like, um, you know, they, they, they have somebody ready to go. I can just hit an easy button and we can get started with somebody. And so that's kind of one idea. But the reality is, is hiring direct, if you go through an agency like ours that will take care of all that hiring process, is actually the easy button. Because we do all of that heavy lifting for you and then make that placement directly. And then you get all those long-term benefits of hiring directly. So what we found is, is that a lot of people who just didn't know this was an option, they've been with the staffing agencies. But as soon as they start having those problems, you know, they'll start coming to us. So most of our clients are folks who have gone through the staffing agency route at some point, realized there was some deficiency there that they didn't like. And then they found us and said, yeah, this is exactly what I need. Um, so, you know, that's great for us. You know, they've, you know, it's always nice to be somebody's second, uh, you know, second, uh, option, right? They, they've known what didn't work and then they come to you. So, so what about, uh, from the, the RTM's point of view? I mean, you must have people who have worked for agencies and now you're hiring them direct. Uh, what, what are their feedbacks? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great point. And, and the world is changing in that regard, right? So like, so in the past, a lot of those remote team members, they work for staffing agencies because that was what was available to them. And there weren't as many people who knew they could hire direct or, or knew how to do that. And so those options just weren't as available to remote team members. But now that the remote team members are seeing that, that options available to them, they are looking for that more and more. So actually, a lot of the staffing agencies now are, it's becoming more of a struggle for their model to even stand up. Because A, it's becoming harder for them to recruit, but also it's becoming harder for them to recruit at the price point that they can afford to pay. Because more and more people realize, you know, what they can make out in the open market. But some of the other things that we hear consistently, so I mentioned earlier that, you know, the staffing agency model, they'll explain, oh, you know, we provide um, healthcare benefits, for example. But the reality is, is that the benefits they're providing, and I don't know what the equivalent in Canada would be. Well, I know in Canada, you guys have universal healthcare, so maybe this won't translate as well. But, you know, here in the United States, you know, we have something called Medicaid, right? And so the reality is, is that like the level of healthcare that typically is getting provided to those folks in those countries is whatever that minimum requirement is that the government mandates that they provide. And so the reality is, is a lot of those remote team members are not satisfied with that solution. And so many of them will end up still um, purchasing some type of private health insurance anyway and using that despite what's being provided to them through their 
their employer. So the reality is, is that they like um, being hired directly because um, they can then have more control and autonomy over things like that. Also, in most countries, like here in the US, and maybe it's similar in Canada, you know, if you work for yourself, if you're an independent contractor, you're in a different tax bracket, a more favorable tax bracket, generally speaking, than if you are an employee of a company. And so the same is true in most other countries as well. So they can work as a freelancer um, for a company that's hiring them. It puts them in a more favorable tax bracket that they can actually take home more money as well. So there's lots of benefits to the remote team members to be working directly. Okay. You mentioned the 30-60-90. For those of my, our listeners who are kind of going, okay, they're intrigued. Now, what, what does onboarding look like? I mean, let's say that somebody has never, ever used even a remote, like local person. What does day one look like? Yeah. So for us, uh, we want to educate them and walk them through a lot of things that we've been talking about on this podcast. So we'll talk to them about best practice with things like Slack or things like a voice over IP phone system. Um, what should your uh, meeting pulse look like with your staff? Um, so we'll walk them through all those things. You know, How can you do a successful daily huddle? What should one-on-ones look like? A lot of things that frankly are just good training even with your local staff. Um, but we are not going to presume anything. We want to help train you on all of those things and make sure that you know how to handle that. Um, and then, of course, we'll show you the nuts and bolts of how to pay them. It turns out that's you know very simple and straightforward. You know, if you want to use a time tracking software, uh, we show you uh, how to use that. Um, so yeah, we walk them through how to do all those things. We set those expectations with the remote team member. Um, we talk through a little bit about you know what a training schedule could look like depending on the position. Um, things like that, and then what reasonable expectations would be in terms of how quickly that remote team member should be able to get up to speed, again, depending on the position of the training that's available, that type of thing. Wow. That's, uh, I think that is a podcast all into itself. We'll have to uh, unpack that in another, yeah. that's almost <laughs> another full two or three hours. Well, I mean, I mean from your experience, what... What three pieces of advice would you give to a company looking to hire their first remote team member? Oh, that's interesting. Um, so what I would say, this, this may relate to you know, a lot of um, your listeners, is a lot of folks come to us, um, particularly real estate investors, this would apply to a lot of them, where they say, well, I know I need some help, but I don't think I need somebody full-time. And my response to that is always the same. Is I, always, I basically tell them, I don't believe you. Um, and part of the reason I don't believe you is I say, look, one thing I already know about you is, is by virtue of the fact that you are an entrepreneur, is you have about 10 new ideas every single day and not enough time to implement them. So it's just not true that you can't use somebody full-time. You just have, are going to have to be a little bit more creative about how to fill that time in. Um, so that would be sort of advice number one is, um, is you could use the help. Advice number two is usually a limited belief on skill set. Right. So a lot of people, um, if they're new to this concept, they might be thinking, well, I mean, what can they really do for me? Right. Like, okay, maybe they can do some data entry. Maybe I would trust them to be on the phone with people, but I'm not so sure about that. Right. So there's just, just very limited belief about what their skill sets really are. But the reality is, is that you could, as you and I have both done, right? You can hire a general manager. You could hire a CEO if you wanted to, right? So the, the, the United States and Canada have not cornered the market on human resource, right? There, there is incredible talent all over the world. 
And whatever your leads are, they exist out there for somebody to fulfill them in a very big way. So that would probably be advice number two. Yeah, advice number three would probably be uh, just do it. I mean, because again, the cost that you're talking about here, when you go direct, again, you're typically going to be talking about something like around $1,200 US per month. And so, look, you've made worse decisions in life and lost money on bigger mistakes than this, okay? So, just try it and you probably will be immensely surprised and, and incredibly pleased with the success that you find. No, that's... Uh, I think I wish I had known that uh, when I started. You know, that's really good advice. So, speaking of business, I want to transition a little bit, uh, given your vast experience. You know, you've worked obviously in the US and across the US and a, a few different businesses. What decisions or I guess decision can listeners make that will lead to faster results in their businesses today, in your opinion? To faster results? Well, I'm a big fan of really focusing on the unit economics of your business. Um, so, you know, if some of your clients, you know, maybe if they have, a, you know, their own rental portfolio or something like that, we, we tend to... Especially, uh, you know, a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we kind of throw all the money into one big pot and we may not be the best at really tracking the money. And one of the best ways to do that is really focus on the unit economics of what's happening in your business. And then, you know, my guess is, is a lot of your listeners probably have multiple businesses, just like you and I probably do, right? And so, you know, if in their business, maybe they have, you know, a general contracting business and then a real estate investing business and their rental portfolio business. And I would say, you know, get really focused on the um, health and success of each of your businesses individually and don't conflate them because when you conflate them, we can hide things that are happening without realizing we're hiding it, right? We can, we can cover over some issues with money from one business to cover over the issues in another business. So, you know, just get some good financial clarity and then, and then make decisions based on those financial clarity. It could be that one of your businesses just is a time suck for you, right? Maybe you have that handyman business, but at the end of the day, it's just not really doing what it needs to do for you. And if you really could take the amount of time and energy on that handyman business and focus it into buying more properties, maybe that'd be the right thing for you or vice versa. So, you know, just get that clarity um, to make good decisions. Yeah, no, good decisions is, is really important. What do you wish you would have known before you had started in the real estate business? To focus more on monthly recurring revenue. A lot of folks, when you get started into real estate or you know real estate investing, we're chasing the big lumpy paydays, whatever those might look like, and those are great, and, um, and 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 that may be a model that works great for you. But I think it's really good and healthy to have some form of monthly recurring revenue as well. So if you're not keeping any properties long term, you know I'd encourage you to do that um, and not not just be solely focused on flipping properties. So, you know, that's something that I wish I had done sooner was building my own portfolio of rentals. Yeah, I have a lot of realtor associates that, you know, obviously commission checks are great, uh, you know, but what do you do when you stop, right? Yeah, especially for those real estate professionals, you know, exactly. You know, I see that a lot with folks who are real estate brokers and, and think about it, you know, as a real estate broker, you have insight into your market that nobody else has. And you're using it to help other people develop wealth. But are you using your same knowledge and skills to develop wealth for yourself? And if not, start today. 
Okay. Well, that uh, transitions into the next question I want to ask you. What do you think gets in the way of entrepreneurs being more successful? What do I think gets in the way of entrepreneurs being more successful? I guess I can just speak from my own personal experience, and, and that could be getting bogged down with the wrong things, right? And so, again, this comes to that lack of clarity. You know, just, just like anybody, we can tend to just sort of do what happens to be in front of us. We put out whatever fires um, because, you know, there's constantly people coming to us screaming, this is an emergency. This is urgent. I need your attention on this. And we can easily fall into uh, just waking up every day and putting out the fires. But putting out fires doesn't make you money, right? It might keep you from losing money, but it doesn't make you money. Um, so I would say, you know, getting really focused on what I call the important but not urgent tasks, right? We always have that list of things that are really important. But quite honestly, if we never got to them, nobody's going to complain about it. But they're the things that if we never got to it, we're, we're going to be the things that were going to make us the most money um, and, and bring us the most success, whatever success looks like for you. So, so yeah, stop putting out fires all the time and focus on important but not urgent. Yeah, goal setting, right? Keep those top three goals and make sure that everything you're doing is going towards those, right? Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, I, I can't believe uh, 45 minutes has already flown by. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on. I, I want, uh, hopefully by then, a lot of our listeners would have delved in, you know, dipped their toe into the RTM market. And now they're like, what do I do now? And then we'll, we'll have you back on to talk about best practices and, and how to have a successful culture. But before we go, I ask every, you know, every guest this question. So this is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success? And what does winning look like for you? Yeah, um, this is a question I, I uh, thought about a while ago um, in my business. And I, I always had this goal years ago to kind of get to the point where my, my business was self-managing and it could kind of run itself. So on the one hand, that's what success looks like. Um, is I got really focused on not just maximizing my income, but actually maximizing my dollars per hour, right? Uh, which which actually could mean I'm making less overall income. But if I'm increasing my dollars per hour such that I have now time to do what, do what I want with it, that's what success looks like for me. The big question that comes from that is, what are you going to do with your time? And when I all of a sudden had a bunch of time on my hand, I wasn't prepared for what am I going to do with my time? Because I thought that was the goal in of itself was to just have more free time. But as a true entrepreneur, you know, you would know that you get pretty bored with that pretty quickly. So, uh, so then deciding what you're going to do with that time that you've created is how you start um, multiplying your success. Okay. Well, that is a great spot to stop. Um, thank you so much for stopping by today. And yeah, definitely uh, I'll reach out and uh, we'll have you on. We'll throw your contact info for a better hoop into the show notes in case people want to reach out and see what it's like to hire all over the world. And uh, we'll touch base. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Garrett. All right. Thanks. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, 
Go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time. Thank you.